Hi everyone, um, if you're new and I've not met you, my name's Phil, I'm assistant pastor here, it's great to see you. Now, um, we've been spending quite a few months in 1 Corinthians, and I've got a confession, we're going to do a little bit in 1 Corinthians 1 today. Okay, right. Um, I'd love to do, we're going to do two weeks thinking about praise, what it means to praise and glorify God. And one of the best passages to go to think about that is in 1 Corinthians 1. Um, and it was a long time ago we did 1 Corinthians 1, so we've probably all forgotten. Do you remember the sermon points? No, you don't. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1 on page 1145. We're going to be somewhere very different next week. And let's read. One Corinthians chapter one and verse twenty-six. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So like I said, we're going to spend a couple of weeks thinking about what it means to praise God. Um, And one of the reasons we're going to think about that is because the Bible so often calls us to praise God. And we've been thinking about this over the last few Sundays in the service, that the last few Psalms in particular have this repeated call, praise God, praise God, because of this, because of this, praise God, praise God. Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul. So the Bible's telling us to praise God, and we know we should. He's made us, he's rescued us, we live to praise him. But probably, a lot of us find praising God actually quite hard to do. From singing praise on a Sunday, through to that everyday attitude of gratefulness and giving praise and glory to God, living for the glory of God alone, we know that we should do that, but it doesn't really come very naturally to us. It's not easy. We probably experience this in different ways, I think. Um, maybe you just feel, I'm sure you feel this way sometimes, I know I do, just kind of spiritually numb, just not feeling much. I know God's done so much for me, but I, I feel like I've got the spiritual fervor of a pebble, you know, like there's just not much going on here. Thankfulness and praise can also be very hard when life is hard. I know God's good. The Bible says to rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances. And you think, well, these circumstances just make it very hard to praise God. Now, there are all sorts of things going on that might therefore be at the root of why we struggle to praise God. But this afternoon, I just want to think about one particular potential cause of why we might be struggling to praise God. If you long for a heart that is just free to praise God... We have a freedom and joy in him. Then these verses are going to dig down deep and I hope really fuel our praise of God. Now we're going to start with a little help from our friends Taylor Swift and Kanye West who get an inordinate amount of mentions in my sermons. But anyway, here they go. Uh, Because Kanye has a praise problem. Okay, here they are. Imagine you're Taylor Swift, you're at the MTV Video Awards and your name's just been announced for Video of the Year Award. You're like, oh, 
I got the video of the year award. And she's doing the whole thing of, I can't believe it. And she gets up on stage and it's been my lifelong dream to get this award, like it really has been. And she's all really excited and really emotional. And then Kanye West gets on, on the stage, <laughs> takes the microphone out of her hand and says, oh, I'm really pleased for you, Taylor. Great, but uh, Beyonce's video is the best video in the world. Okay, he actually did this. He, he basically stole the award from her. And she cried. Taylor's moment. She deserved it for her awesome, amazing video. And Kanye outrageously said, no, you don't deserve it. Beyonce deserves it. He stole her glory. He should have stayed in his seat, joined in the applause, and given Taylor the praise that she deserved. Now imagine this. Imagine walking into the presence of God where he's being glorified for saving us. And we climb on the stage, take the mic, and say, You've done a great job saving us, God, but I think some praise is due to me. Now, that sounds outrageous, doesn't it, that we would do that kind of thing? But that, I think, is often what's going on underneath our struggle to praise God. We can struggle to praise God because actually we're like Kanye climbing on the stage, and we want to take the award out of God's hands and share a bit of the glory for ourselves. And so we struggle to give him all the praise. Now, the word in our passage that links to all this praise stuff is boasting. You see it a couple of times. Verse 29, so that no one may boast before God. Verse 31, it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So this word boasting is all about praise. Who you boast in is who you praise. So Kanye's boast was in Beyonce, whereas everyone else was boasting in Taylor Swift. She's great, she's awesome, she deserves this award. Now, boasting isn't a bad word. We think of it as inherently negative. Boasting is actually something good when the credit is due. I'm a Swifty fan, right? Taylor, Taylor Swift fan, and I'm boasting in her. She's great. She's awesome. This is for the sermon. It's not real. <laughs> but boasting is bad when it's not deserved. That's when boasting is bad. Now, the Corinthian Christians were like Kanye. They had a praise pl- problem, a boasting problem. They were beginning to boast in themselves for their spirituality and salvation, And we're taking the award out of the hands of God, who alone deserves it. They have a praise problem. And if Paul, I mean, he's having to tell them that you need to boast in the Lord, you need to boast in him. You get the picture then that maybe they're struggling to boast in the Lord. Do you see that? They're struggling to praise God, maybe like we do. Why don't they have hearts that are just free to give God all the glory? It seems they want to get on the stage and take a bow for their salvation and spirituality. So to bring us to a place where we can really just boast in God and be happy to praise him alone, Paul needs to show us who deserves the praise for our salvation and our Christian life. It's like sitting Kanye down and saying, look, Kanye, you shouldn't have done that, okay? I'm sure, I'm sure Kim Kardashian had a word afterwards. You know, Kanye, you shouldn't have done this. Taylor deserved the award. Paul needs to sit us down and show us, look, God alone deserves it. And actually, Paul wants more. He doesn't want a kind of reluctant, okay, God deserves it. But a happy, free heart that says, I'm so happy to give God the glory. That's what we're after this afternoon. So the way that Paul does this is the first thing he tells us to do is to come off the stage. It's the first thing he tells us to do. Come off the stage. Have a look at verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. So Paul calls his brothers and sisters in the church to consider their calling. Consider what you were when you were called. So he's taken them back to when they became Christians. And he talks about it as being called by God. He says we need to remember how it all started. And when you call someone, you're getting in there first, right? So if I see my mate Alan across the car park and I shout, Alan, I'm calling him. I'm taking the initiative, right? So even by talking about being called, saying God is the one who calls out to us, he's showing that God is the one who takes the initiative. He calls out to us before we put our faith in him. So you don't even get the credit for initiating the whole salvation thing, okay? He does. He calls us. We didn't wake up one day and think, you know what? I think I'm going to become a Christian today. Sounds like, sounds great. God works in us. He calls us. He initiates, not the other way around. So get off the stage. He gets the glory for that bit. But then Paul goes on to show why God called us. And he does this whole, think back to what you were like. Think back to what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential. And, uh, and on he goes. He shows that they weren't all that impressive. He says, think back to what you were. You weren't impressive by worldly standards. You weren't very wise. You weren't high up in society of noble birth, powerful, born into the right circles. When God called you, you weren't exactly prime specimens, guys. Do you remember that? So then why did God call them? Verse 27, God chose the foolish things of the world, that's them, (laughs) to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world, that's them, to shame the strong. See, by saving people who the world wouldn't expect, God shows that he doesn't work the way the world works. The world would say, well, surely a God of splendor and majesty would choose the best the world has to offer, the wise and the strong to be in his kingdom because he's an awesome king. But God puts that way of thinking and valuing to shame. He, he puts it on his head, but he says, and I'm going to choose the exact opposite. The royal wedding, there was some controversy before, I don't know if you remember, because the police went throughout the town of Windsor removing homeless people. And there was a bit of kind of outrage at that and a cringe at this happening. But then wouldn't it have completely flipped all our expectations if, actually put us to shame if Harry had come out and said, no, 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 no. I want them in my wedding. That would have put us all to shame. No one would have seen that coming. That's what God has done. We might want to maybe secretly clear our churches of who we consider to be really bad people or unrespectable people. God puts us to shame because that's not how he operates. God picks all kinds of people and he seems to take a special delight in choosing the most ordinary and unimpressive. We'll have them. He says, I'll have you when no one else will. And that puts to shame the world who thinks God should pick those who we think should be in God's kingdom. God doesn't call on the basis of impressive or on the basis of deserving. Quite the opposite. Okay, let's link all this to the praising, boasting stuff. With calling, there are two types of calling. One type of calling would give us reason to boast in ourselves, and the other type of calling means all praise goes to God. 
Is God's call to be saved the call of a talent scout or the call of a presidential pardon? Now, you have the call of the talent scout, where you know there's a scout on the side of the football pitch, kids playing, and he's looking for, let's say, the Arsenal Academy, and um, he's looking for the whiz kid. That guy is a genius, there's so much potential, and they call them, and they're going to be part of the Arsenal Academy, and they're going to be brilliant. Now, the call, you know, when they ring up the parents and say, oh, we, we actually want your son to come and play um, for Arsenal or whatever, that is, that is a very flattering call, isn't it? If your child got called to Arsenal or Tottenham or others over in Newcastle and people, you'd be on the phone boasting to everyone. My kid got called up, and that would be a legitimate boast. But that kind of call, your son's a genius or your daughter's a genius, is very different to the call of a presidential pardon. You know the President of the United States has the power to pardon people who are in jail for whatever reason. He gets this long list of criminals, and he can pardon them. So imagine the President going down to a prison where the inmates are out in the yard. And he looks through the wire fence and says, free that one, free that one, free that one. Now that call isn't based on talent or who's the strongest or the wisest. The call of God is not the call of the talent scout. It's the call of the pardon. The talent scout operates on the principle of you deserve this. The pardon operates on the principle of grace. And because God chooses on the basis of grace, verse 29, choosing the people who don't deserve it, who are unimpressive, what's the result? No one may boast before him. Because it's the call of the pardon. No one may boast. Imagine the prisoners come out. How does that conversation then go with the president? The president says, well done, son, you really earned it. That's not how it goes. The prisoner says, thank you. You've given me another chance. Thank you. I I can't tell you how grateful I am. Now, do you see the praise that flows from the call of grace when it's undeserved? Thank you. You see where praise comes from. That's how you respond to the call of grace. I don't deserve it. Yet the Corinthians have begun to forget that God called them. He took the initiative and they weren't that impressive. They begun to forget that they were like the prisoner called out the prison yard and they were thought, thought they were more like the kid who was called by the talent scout. Look how spiritual we are. Look at our knowledge of God. And Paul says, you know what? That's like taking a bow when the president's pardoned you. That's like getting on the stage and taking a bow and some applause. Look at my spiritual gifts. Look, I can speak in tongues. Look at how much I know about the Bible. Look at how amazing I am at teaching the Bible. You don't take a bow for a round of applause. You bow in praise and thanks. Why did God choose people like us, the most unimpressive, undeserving people? So that we wouldn't be tempted to take even a bit of the glory that he deserves. Come off the stage and give glory to God. I wonder if you've forgotten that you weren't called by a talent scout, but you were found in the prison yard. And when you remember that, then you remember who to praise. How can we spot then in ourselves that we're being tempted to get on the stage and take some of the glory from ourselves and boast in our salvation. Because it's probably quite subtle. I don't think there are many of, any of us, perhaps, who I'd talk to and say, do you think you deserve the glory for your salvation? And you say, yes, I deserve the glory. When we're, we're not so straightforward about it, but it, it's probably somewhere in our hearts. So how can we spot it? 
I think it probably shows itself in how we respond to other people in different situations. Think about this. How do you react when you're criticized? Perhaps someone tells you about um, a sin they see in you, or something you failed to do in church. Maybe you were involved in a ministry you've been asked to stop for whatever reason. Now, if that devastates you, perhaps there's an indication that you wanted to have some kind of boast about your Christian faith. And the critique robs you of the boast that you were kind of enjoying. And that becomes really unbearable when that's taken away. The critique hurts so much because it says you're not as deserving or as impressive as you thought you were. Your unimpressiveness is revealed. You've been called out. And everyone can see it. And you're ashamed. And your boasting before God is gone. You can't do that anymore because it's obvious. And that hurts. You see, when you've climbed onto the stage of spiritual glory, then you get asked to get off the stage. That hurts. So maybe you've had those occasions where you've been asked to get off the stage. And that's hurt. But that reveals something. Or how about this? How do you react when somebody else, another Christian, succeeds? Someone else is gifted in a way that you wish you were. You'd love to have been asked to be a small group leader, but you haven't been. Someone else in church is maybe publicly recognized and you feel like Kanye West. You feel like getting on the stage and saying, well done, but I did a great job too. It may have been a silent kind of response, but you know the churn in the stomach when you feel this way. Someone else is praising you like, oh, I wish I got some glory for that. It shows though we think we deserve some glory. But if we can see and grasp what Paul is reminding us, that we're saved by sheer grace, by the call of God, despite how unimpressive we are, I think we'd react very differently in those situations. When criticized, or when others get the glory, we'd say, you know, actually, I was called by God. I'm here because of his initiative, not me. I wasn't anything to shout about back then. I'm not anything to shout about right now. I deserve to be in the prison. So a heart that really gets that is free to be criticized and corrected. You know what? I know I'm a sinner. Thanks, thanks for helping me change. It's a heart that's free to find joy in others. God has gifted you. Praise God. Glory to him. And it's a heart that's free to praise God. Yep. You know what? I don't deserve the praise. God, I'm happy for you to get it. So if you want to have a heart that's free to praise God, as you know he deserves, you need to come down off the stage. Remember, he didn't call you because you're something. He doesn't love us because we're all that. He loves us out of sheer grace. So come down off the stage. And secondly, join in the singing. Come down off the stage and let's join in the singing. I was having a chat with a friend the other day about funerals. Um, he's a humanist, and which means he doesn't believe in God, and um, he believes that life is all about fulfilling your kind of human potential, be the best you can, that kind of thing. And we got chatting about um, a, a humanist funeral that he'd been to recently, and, and we realized that actually what is said at funerals reveals a lot about what you think really matters in life. He'd recently been to this funeral, and he said it was, it was just so life-affirming, uh, talking about the ways in which this person had touched so many lives, how amazing they were. And I was, I was just reflecting with him and saying, well, Christian funerals are very different. They celebrate life, they celebrate achievements, 
But then there's this kind of crowning joy where we say, you know what, this life was all about Christ. The greatest thing to celebrate about this person is what God has done for them. Our boast is in the Lord. The glory in the end and the funeral is the end, isn't it? It all goes to God. Maybe you've been at funerals like that where there's just this glory to God. Because here's the joy of the Christian life. We get freed from the misery of boasting in ourselves. Misery of boasting ourselves? I quite like getting praised. (laughs) No, 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 no. Think about it. The pressure to perform and be someone spiritually is actually quite a crushing pressure. So we come off the stage and that frees us from the pressure to perform. It frees us from the pressure to be somebody spiritually. We get freed from the pressure of being on the stage to receive this award for our Christianity. And we come down off the stage and we join in the singing and the applaud of the crowd and we look up the stage and see Christ and all that he has done. And that's where Paul takes us next. To look at all that Christ has done and go, you know what? He really does deserve the glory. So let's have a look. Verse 30. So he's done the look, you're not all that, so don't boast. Then verse 30, he turns to look at Christ. It is because of God, him, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. It all starts with God. Did you see that in verse 30? It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. Because of God and the call, we're in Jesus. We're united to him. And then Paul kind of says, look, in Christ, we have the full works. That's all the stuff in verse 30. He's wisdom. He's our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. In Christ is, is everything, which is how awards work, isn't it? You get the Best Picture Award at the Oscars when a film just has all the elements. It's got a great script, great directing, great acting. It's, it's the full works. It's all there. Well, it's the same with God. The reason God gets the glory on the stage of salvation is because in Christ, he's given us the full works. Everything It's all there. Paul says that God made Christ to be these four things that are supposed to be fuel for our praise to praise God instead of ourselves. So if you feel as enthusiastic as a pebble in praising God, then just chew on these things with me for a little bit. First, Paul says, Christ Jesus became for us wisdom from God. Well, the Corinthian ears prick up because they like wisdom, okay? They, they've been, Paul's been talking in the verses just before about how they love a kind of worldly human wisdom. They, they really like a clever-sounding salvation plan. But, God, but Paul says, no, God has made Christ to be our wisdom. That is, God had a wise plan to save us that is way beyond what any of us would come up with. I really want you to see that God's way of saving us is pure genius. It's just brilliant, the way he's called us in Christ. Think about it. You know, different elements of the gospel are just, are just incredible. You wouldn't have thought of it. The, the idea of, the, of God himself becoming a human to be the one who saves us. You wouldn't have come up with that. That's genius. That's brilliant. God the Son becoming a man. And then living the perfect life that you and I have failed to live. Yes! 
That's great. Someone who can be what I'm not. That's what we need. And then he died the death that we deserve to die in our place. That is brilliant. A substitute. That's exactly what we need. A sacrifice. So God's justice can be satisfied and we can get mercy. Jesus dies in our place. Of course. And so he died and he rose so that he could bring us to know and enjoy God. Results. This is so wise, this plan, because it actually works. Jesus actually brings us to God so we can have a relationship with him. This is it. Jesus is hes wisdom from God. Do you and I deserve any awards for that plan? No. God does. He came up with it. He did it in Christ. Glory to him. Next, it says Christ was, is our righteousness. Because we're guilty for getting on the stage. We're guilty of putting our hope in people, in ourselves, and not God. We're guilty for wanting credit in life instead of giving the credit to God. And if God treats us how we deserve, we're in big trouble. One day, I've got a no chance by myself. Oh, yes, you do have a chance before God. Because God has made Christ to be our righteousness. We are not righteous, living for God as we were made to, but God has made Jesus our righteousness. His perfection, that life of passionate praise and love for God, is given to us when we have faith in Christ. So you don't need to be afraid of God. I don't know if you feel afraid of God. You don't need to be afraid of his judgment anymore if you're guilty, because the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And all that's left to say is, thank you. Praise you. I'm not taking any credit for that. Praise to God. Perhaps you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus. And actually you're trying to get God to accept you. On the He's looking for some talent, for some, some moral talent in you or something. You think, if, if I can do enough, if I can be talented enough, he's going to be impressed. He won't. But you don't need to be good enough. Christ is good enough for you. He's your righteousness. Life is full of the pressure to perform, the pressure to be someone. God doesn't lay that pressure on you. He knows you can't do it. He makes Christ someone for you. Which means, because we're acceptable to God, the next thing, we can walk into the presence of God in a beautiful palace with spotless marble floors, as clear as glass, with gold everywhere, glinting in the sun. This sultan embodied the title, Your Majesty. And he would look out of his palace and see a child rummaging around on the rubbish heap, covered in filth. And the sultan was moved and longed for that child to have a father, to have a home, to live in his palace. So one day he opened the door of the palace. He walked down to the rubbish heap. He picked up the little boy whose filth got just all over him. And he gave this child the most radiant new set of clothes the kingdom had ever seen. Come on into my palace, he says. My home is your home. You're in my family now. We're the child on the rubbish heap. We are so morally filthy to live in the palace of God in the presence of your majesty. But he's opened the doors. Christ has come to us, picked us up, taken all that dirt on himself, made us spotless, holy, so we can walk 
into the palace of God. You don't take a bow when that happens to you. You say, thank you, praise you, I'm clean. Final thing, Christ has become our redemption. Because it's been a long road from Eden, where our parents severed our relationship with God with their sin, where God promised one day he would crush the snake, bring us back to the garden and back to God, and redeem us from slavery to sin and to fear of death. And in Christ, finally, we have our redemption. He's here. Christ is the one it's leading up to. He'll crush the snake, hear this, for you. Jesus has defeated death for you. And he's brought you back to be one of God's people, redeemed one of his children. Did you set yourself free? No. He's our redemption. So we boast in him. Now, when you put all that Christ has done alongside the kind of things that we like to get a bit of spiritual credit for. We look a bit silly, don't we? Which Christian award do you think you deserve? What award would you get? Give it back to God. Give it back to God. Do you see how Christ's achievements for us frees us from the pressure to be somebody, to be spiritually awesome? What a burden. We're not in the running for any Christian awards. Isn't that good news? We're not in the running. All the awards have already been won by God to join in the singing. As we finish, I just want to think about this. I want you to imagine your heart, the place where all your praise comes from, your boasting. If your heart is split between giving God praise for all that he's done, but also feeling like you want some praise for your faith, For your good, you just feel like quite an impressive Christian. Your praise for God will be half-hearted. Half the praise will go to God, but half the praise you're keeping for yourself. Wholehearted praise for God is only possible when the half that wants so much to be told how clever and moral and spiritual we are takes a good look in the mirror, sees how spectacularly unimpressive and impoverished we are, and looks at God and sees how every inch of salvation is covered by him and it's released. When we see that, our whole heart is released to praise God for his grace. So come down off the stage and let's join in the singing of praise. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, We want to say sorry for the ways in which we climb up on the stage and we want to get some kind of award for our Christianity, for our faith, for what we do. We're sorry that we're so obsessed with ourselves. We so want the praise and the glory that we rob you of what you deserve. We're sorry because that is, that's criminal. We thank you for your mercy. That you have done things in such a way that makes it so clear that it's all from you. It is all of grace. By grace alone we're saved. We'll run this race by grace alone. It started by grace. It'll finish by grace. All of it is from you. So I pray that you'd help us in our hearts of hearts to surrender. To right now let go of those things we want a pat on the back for and recognize that all good things come from you. Christ has become for us wisdom.
He is the one who clothes us with righteousness. He is the one who brings us into your palace. He is the one who makes us your own and has brought us back from death and sin. And I pray, please, Lord, when we praise, as we sing together, but also just every day, I pray for us as a church family to be people who have a heart freed up to say, we love you, God, and we praise you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.